today we have a, uh, a packed schedule, and that is why without further ado, I will introduce uh, the topic that I'm going to be preaching on, and we will be going through Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. There's three points uh, to this sermon, and the sermon is about obeying and enjoying God's call to evangelize. So today's sermon, the first sermon, is about obeying and enjoying God's call to evangelize. Do you know that we can enjoy God's call to evangelize? We can enjoy telling others about Christ. It doesn't have to be a scary, intimidating, you know, sweating, butterflies in your stomach kind of experience. It could be joy, like pure joy, the purest form of joy, I would say, that you can ever feel here on earth. So obeying and enjoying God's call to evangelize. Uh, point number one says we don't want to lose our status, and thus we can't obey and can't enjoy evangelizing. We don't want to lose our status, and so we can't obey or enjoy evangelizing. My second point is that we value physical comforts, and I'm going to just jump right into this, so sorry for like overwhelming you guys, but it's going to be 10-15 minutes, and we're going to pray. Second point is we value physical comforts over human souls. We value physical comforts over human souls, and therefore we cannot obey or enjoy God's call to evangelize. And number three, we lack compassion for the human soul. We lack compassion for the human soul, and thus we can't obey or enjoy God's call to evangelize. Firstly, I'd like to say that there is a call of God upon every Christian to evangelize. So you can tithe. You can give more than tithing. You could tithe and then give offering. You could do things in church. You could, you could do everything that, that, you're, you know, that, that we think of doing in church by service. We can do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there is a call upon every single person that becomes a Christian to preach, to evangelize, to tell others about Jesus Christ. So every single person, it doesn't matter like if you're a female or a male, if you're 15 years old or 55 years old, what your education is or what your education is not, that is irrelevant. Every Christian that is a Christian has a call on their life, and that is they have to preach the Word of God. They have to share the good news that they received. And what is this good news? That we are saved from our sins, that we have eternal life with others. And I'm not going to get into the verses that talk about that. There are many verses that talk about that. Today, I would like, just like to explain why sometimes we can't obey this call of God to evangelize. Why we sometimes can't obey and enjoy this call to evangelize. And one place I will just bring from Scripture that says, go and preach the gospel to, to where? Everywhere. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So that is God's call. Listen, listen carefully. Not just to a select few, but to every single believer. This, what I'm saying right now, isn't something that I'm coming up or it's something just that our church believes. This is what I would say 95% of Christians, of evangelical Christians on earth believe. Like this is widely believed, but it is not done as, as, uh, as often as it should. So number one, we don't want to lose our status. Jonah is an interesting story because Jonah gets a call from God to go to Nineveh and to tell them that in 40 days and 40 nights, Nineveh will be destroyed. Jonah runs away, and God brings him back, and he still goes and preaches to Nineveh. And here's the last chapter of Jonah. This is after he's preached. He's walked around this huge city with 120,000 people, uh, many scholars say. And uh, he's said, 40 days and 40 nights and Nineveh will be destroyed. Interestingly enough, the people listen to this weird message that Jonah has given him. Jonah, listen, is not giving them any kind of hope. 
Jonah is not preaching a gospel of like, if you would only do this, or if you just, listen, if you just kind of fix your ways here, like 50% punishment, okay? I can talk to God, we can work things out. He's just walking out, and that's what the Bible says. He says, 40 days, 49, I mean, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed or overthrown, depending on the translation. So a very radical message and a very radical response. All of Nineveh begins to fast. The king orders this fast. Animals are wearing burlap or wearing this like weird clothes and animals are fasting with the people and God spares the city. And I'd like to just take you for just a second into that time and to think about what was going through Jonah's mind. Because if we think about Jonah, we always think about this person that wants the city of Nineveh to burn. But is that really what is happening? So if you think about Jonah, right, he's the guy that he was in the belly of the whale, and then he's in Nineveh sitting outside of Nineveh. That's the picture I get when I think of Jonah. It's in the whale, maybe on the sea, in the storm, and the sailors are like, dude, what's up? Like, really? You're running away from God, and this is happening to us? And then the third vision I get, or picture I get, is him sitting outside of Nineveh waiting for Nineveh to burn. That's what the Bible says. And my question to you today is, was Jonah really just really wanted Nineveh to just burn or to be overthrown, to die? He, he, just, he just really wanted the children in that city probably to be killed, right? He really wanted to see all the women in the city to get killed. All the men, all the young men, all the, all the older men, all the people that are sick in the hospitals, all of them to just get wiped out. And he's sitting there expecting this wipeout. Is that what's happening? And there, there's kind of two train, trains of thought here, two kind of ways that people look at this. And the way, uh, the second way, and I would say, um, and this is the way that I kind of hold on to just recently, just thinking about this. I was like, I don't think that that's who Jonah is. I don't see Jonah as this sadistic person. He's, he's a prophet of God. God speaks to him. He, he has, he, he knows God. So that, that is not his heart. But there is something about Jonah that is, I believe, very applicable to us today as believers, as Christians, as people who know God. And that is this. We don't want to lose our status. We don't want to look different in the eyes of the people around us. And therefore, we are willing to, to do or not do certain things. Like not even preach the gospel. Jonah preached the gospel. He was just waiting for whatever he preached or whatever he prophesied to come to pass. Why do I say that? If you think about it, Jonah's walking around Nineveh for three days, roughly, maybe more, at least three, because that's how much it took to walk around Nineveh, saying, 40 days, all of you guys are gone. No alternatives, nothing. The city repents. But he's sitting outside, and it's day 39. And he's, he knows, in one more day, and my prophecy needs to be fulfilled. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Jonah, but I feel like Jonah was one of those prophets that had a clean record. And by clean, I mean every prophecy that he spoke came to pass. Like one of those real prophets. Like legit, you, you, you speak and it happens. And so here Jonah is sitting outside the city, the people have repented, but there has been no voice from heaven. No voice of, I have forgiven you, Nineveh. I have seen all your fastings and crying and praying. You will not be destroyed. None of that. We, we read, and to us it's evident, it's like, it's obvious. Yeah, God forgave them. Obviously, Jonah was a true prophet. God just forgave him, and so it didn't come to pass. But in, in the view of most of the people, and put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the people of Nineveh. Someone has said that Seattle, right, and I'm getting like text messages recently. Maybe that's why I'm kind of thinking about this. Of like uh, some, some text messages of like videos, links to videos that Seattle is going to be destroyed in like November something of this year, right? And it's like they're bringing these things up. But, but, you know, we, when we receive that, we kind of, we're like, we kind of, we kind of smile usually because we know that stuff probably won't happen. I mean, we've had it so much times. So many cities had to be flooded, right? Our, our side of the, of, of the state had to be underwater for, for decades now if all the prophecies were true, right? Like, Jesus would have come down to earth for, you know, hundreds of times if every person that said that Jesus is coming tomorrow or in a year 
and Jesus would come. And if, if that would be true, then you, you guys get what I'm saying. But the, most of the stuff, it, it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that we're not due for punishment as, as a state. But I'm just saying that Jonah, as a prophet, a true prophet of God, is standing there, clean record, and he's like, God, I knew you would do this to me. I, I was respected in my city. I was respected in my country. And I knew who you were. He says, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Jonah 4, 1, 2, 3. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Wow, that's radical. Really, Jonah, you're, you're, you want to die for this? Yeah, people will die for respect. People will die for status. People would rather die than, than walk to someone on the street, tell them about Jesus, and have their friends say, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, some people are willing to literally get hit by a car. Like, they will not do it than to do that, than to lose their respect with their so-called friends. And therefore, there will never be an enjoyment in evangelizing, an enjoyment in obeying God's call to evangelize. But I believe that the youth of Slavic Christian Center is not a youth that, that does that. It's not a youth that is more concerned with what people think of them, but rather than what God thinks of them. Amen? And that's why other translations says, say that this is what Jonah was saying. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Listen, if you want to truly experience joy in evangelizing, put aside kind of your, your lofty self or the thing that you think about yourself. Like, I can't do that. I can't talk to homeless people. or I can't share the gospel with, with my friends. I mean, they, they won't get me. They won't understand me. They, they, they will think I'm crazy. That's right. They might. That's the point. It's status or obedience and eternal joy. Number two, we can't enjoy and obey God's call to evangelize because we value physical comforts over human, eternal human souls. And then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. Then he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what could, would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant that grew over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day. And it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Now, I just don't have time to perfectly connect this scripture with uh, this point. But I will say that it does make sense. And maybe sometime you, I, I will be able to, to connect it a little bit with, with longer time. But I will say this. That physical comfort, physical comfort, holds a lot of people back from being very effective evangelists for God. And experiencing joy that you have never experienced in your life. The joy of a human soul being converted to Jesus Christ. That is a joy that you need to experience in order to be able to understand what it is. And some people will not, will not. They, they just don't understand how can I take off time from my work and use my vacation, my vacation, my two weeks, my three weeks. That's all I got for the year and go to another country and pay my money to do that? I can't do that. That's not comfortable. That's the point. Preaching wasn't supposed to be comfortable. Evangelizing wasn't supposed to be comfortable. But the joy that you receive, the eternal treasure that you gain from doing that is beyond what we can imagine. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Every last bit of it. And that's why I want us 
speak, and I, I haven't done this before, but to every person, every missionary, I will call you a missionary, although I believe missionary is like a year, two years, and more, but missionaries, they are missionaries who took their time and take their time to do that every year. God will reward you. And you yourselves know the joy that you've experienced. It's unexplainable. And last point, we can't experience the joy of God's call to evangelize and we can't obey it because we lack compassion for the human soul. Jonah 4, 9, 11. I believe we have knowledge. Oh, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals, and some translations say, who do not know the difference between light and darkness, who do not know the first thing about the gospel, the first thing about good and evil, the first thing about Jesus Christ, sin, death, hell, and eternity. And so the last point is we lack compassion for the human soul. Listen, brothers and sisters, I lack compassion for the human soul. And I struggle with this all the time. I lack it. And one of the best remedies to stimulate that compassion, to, to have that affection for Jesus and ultimately for the people around you, be stirred in you, is to pray. If you pray, I promise you, if you pray and you say, God, I just don't have the compassion. And listen, I, I don't think the problem is with our lack of knowledge that heaven and, hev heaven and hell are real. Like we have that part figured out. We're saved because of that. That is what we are saved from. So we have that part figured out. But I believe it's not just that we need to know about heaven and hell. We need to know about that and have a compassion that is beyond human compassion, an agape kind of compassion towards unsaved human souls. That only will come through prayer. It's not normal. It's not physiologically normal to have to look at a person and to cry for them. That's not normal. But that does happen with Christians who say, God, I want to love unbelievers around me, people around me, Christians around me as you love them. God will give you that love, and you will not just preach the gospel to those people. You'll pray for them as well, and they will get saved. And again, you will experience joy unexplainable. Let's stand and pray. How is everybody doing? Good? Everybody doing good? That's good. I... Uh, gonna today we so happen there's a lot of a uh, lot of program a lot of preachers so um everybody's gonna try to be short uh but i wanna i a uh, couple days ago uh, we had a leaders meeting brothers got together talking about thanksgiving talking about new year talking about the other youth activities and uh, well these days i don't planned many of those we have young brothers that are doing good at that we just kind of just uh, uh, oversee but uh, I remember kind of brought me back when I was doing a lot of this organization and uh, usually when you come up to people and ask people are you going to be at the new year are you going to be at Thanksgiving can you do this can you do that a lot of time I remember they're like well uh, let me think about it. If my friends are going to be there, I probably would be there. But if my friends are not going to be there, then probably I won't make it. And today I want to I wanna talk about friends and friendships. It's because uh, I think a lot of, a lot of it, it's, uh, a lot of us were influenced were by our friends, by the friends that we have around us and uh, by the and a lot of time that might have like life consequences. There's different types of friendships out there. Uh, even a couple of days ago, I heard uh, from someone that's uh, kind of like more in the business world. It's not what you know, it's who you know kind of thing. So it's, uh, 
it's more of, uh, it doesn't matter what you know, but if you know somebody, and a lot of people are friends, more that uh, it's more uh, convenient for them or where it's profitable for them that to have that friend. So they call him a friend, but in reality, they, they want his money or her money, and that's, that's pretty much it. Other, other times, um, even, even in our church, I've seen it where you have this best friends for life. They get married, and all of a the sudden, they're not best friends. And you're thinking, I thought you were like so good friends. What happened to your friendship? Things happen in life, and then they're like, okay, it's not, not, not going well. Or I've seen it where uh, a brother st starts courtshiping uh, a sister, and all of a sudden, all the siblings are best friends. And then they break up, and none of the siblings are best friends. So a lot of time, it kind of goes this kind of back and forth. And sometimes people are give, gave up on Christianity because, well, my friend kind of threw me onto, under the bus, so I'm not going to youth, I'm not going to church, I'm not going anywhere. And there's, there's cases where people are not coming to church or are not coming to youth because they don't have friends or the friends that they have, they're no longer friends. So I want to talk about a friend that each one of us can have and it will be your best friend. And if you stick with him, it's going to be a lifelong friendship and will never let you down. So I want to read um, John chapter 15, starting with verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you, call you slaves, for the slaves does not know what his master is doing, but I've have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus Christ himself is saying, you are my friends. But there is a condition to this friendship. And he goes, if. This is the condition of this friendship. If you keep my commandments. So this is the, uh, and then uh, if you if you read uh, if you uh, uh, read on verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you will go on and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. So Jesus Himself is saying that I have chosen you. He has chose. He made this. Uh, um, Probably this kind of like the one of the examples that I could think of. A lot of time, like uh, when you uh, when you're at camp or other places in school, and you play uh, uh, team sports, and people are kind um, of name two captains, and each captain is supposed to pick their uh, their uh, players. And a lot of time, it starts kind of people the captain picking up who's his friends is are and then the best players, and then you're hoping, hopefully he knows me, and then he'll pick me in his team. And then if you make it in the team, and then you, uh, you start playing bad, or you start playing not, kind of make it seem like you're playing for the other team, your team play, uh, teammates are starting to pick on you. Like, are you playing for us, or are you playing for the other team? You probably have been there when they're, when they, when they're like, are you playing for us or for the other team? So that's that's kind of the same the same same probably principle. Jesus Himself, He has chosen us, chosen us to be on His team, as long as we are fulfilling His mission on this earth, as long as we are uh, fulfilling His commandments. Because if you're only saying that I'm Christians, but you're not doing His will, this friendship is not going to last. This friendship is going to be only on what you're thinking, but in reality, Jesus won't be your friend. And uh, probably uh, uh, 
you all have heard of this uh, of this song, what I what a friend I have in Jesus. I um, I kind of remember it today, and I looked it up. Kind of what's the story behind behind this song, and uh, was written by Joseph. I can pronounce his last name. In the 1800s, he was born in Ireland and finished college. I think he was 23 years old at the time. And then he came back where he lived, and he was supposed to marry his um, childhood, uh, childhood sweetheart. And this, like, all nice story. And they were supposed to meet by a, by a river somewhere in, in Ireland. And I think it was a couple of days before the marriage. Um, they were supposed to meet on the side of that river for I don't know what reason. But the horse that she, I don't know if she was on a horse or in a uh, carrot, uh, but the horse got scared by something and she got thrown into this river, the side with a fast river, head first, hit it a rock, drowned it in there a couple days before the marriage. So he was really in deep uh, sadness, you would say. And then it passes, so after like 10 years, he moved to Canada. After 10 years or 12 years, he fell in love again. And a couple months before he was to marry, she died of pneumonia or something. So, and he never married. And later he wrote this, this song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And to me, this like, wow, this, this, he probably lived through this in his life. And he realized that Jesus is the only true friend that you can bring everything to him. Only true friend that will be next to you. And then I guess if you, if you go back and read the whole, the whole hymn, it kind of makes sense what he was going through. And kind of just realizing that only Jesus, because... Even if you have your best friends right now, I can guarantee you in 10 years, you'll have different friends, different, you'll be in the, it, it will a lot depend who you marry, where you're going to live, uh, what are you going to do, everything's going to change you. So the, the friends that you think you have right now are your best friends. If Jesus is not your number one, the ones that you're having, and if they're not, if they're before Jesus, where you kind of pay more attention to them than to what Jesus is teaching and saying, you're going to be having a lot of grief in your life. You're going to have a lot of problems, and you're going to be disoriented, not knowing where to turn when hard time hits or what to do. But if you make Jesus your number one friend and make him your everyday friend that you spend time with, no matter what comes in your life, no matter what life throws at you, you'll always be able to say, what a friend I have in Jesus. And this is probably my, my uh, wish that everyone realizes that Jesus, if, he, if he's your number one friend, then everything will be great in life. No matter how, how hard it might seem at times, you'll realize that you have a true friend in Jesus. And uh, uh, reading, uh, reading God, verse um, verse twenty. I wanna uh, actually we're gonna read from verse nineteen. If you were of the world, the world will love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. And uh, I don't know what's everybody going through. Maybe some of you may be influenced by the friends that are not Christian. Maybe in your high school or college or where you're going. Maybe, and to me, to me, it actually, we, when, I say, when I say friend, I mean somebody that you're close to, you spend time, you hang out. To me as a Christian, to have a true, I won't call a true friend, 
in the meaning, true meaning of the word, somebody that is not Christian. Because to me, it's, you can't have somebody that you spend time, because one way or the other, they're going to influence you. You can have co-workers that you know, that you maybe see them at Christmas party, if it's yeah, a good one. Or, but you have somebody that's not Christian be your friend, it kind of go uh, because if they don't lie, love Jesus, they're going to hate him. So it's, uh, and this is kind of paraphrasing this verse, because the world will hate you, but I've chosen you. I have chosen you to be my friends. So when you analyze your friendships, what kind of friendships you have out there, if you have somebody that is not Christian and you know they don't love they don't love Jesus and they live this life without Jesus and you call them your true friend that you hang out I would probably reconsider that friendship I would probably because sooner or later they're gonna influence you sooner or later they're gonna have an impact in your life and you probably don't even realize that they shaped your life and uh, it's good when you base your, your stance or what you believe in on the Word of God. Uh, I, uh, back when I, I wasn't married, I had uh, friends, but kind of Christian friends, but sometimes they, they, I guess they had these periods in their life that probably, I, I wasn't even aware of them. One time I was, I was in, um, actually I think it was, yeah, it was Portland, and we uh, we went. We were playing this ping pong at a, at a, at a place, and all of a sudden, one of my friends disappeared. We are like looking for him. Where is he? Where is he? And um, we're like, our session ended. We got outside, and like, there's nothing around here. Like, where would he go? And a couple minutes later, he walks from around the building. He's like, where you been? Like, well, I didn't want to tell you guys because you won't go with me. You'll give me a hard time. But actually, I just won $300 at this casino that is behind this building. It's like, you wanna, like I'll share with you if you don't tell anybody. I'm like, no, I won't take your money. <laughs> and uh, because they, they knew I won't, I, won't, I won't go with them. And they were like, oh, here's like, here, let's share it. Let's go have some fun. It's like, no, it's like, I'm not going to take it from you and you better not go out again when we're all together because otherwise our friendship might be under question. So when people know what you're standing for, they probably try to avoid doing those things while you're there. Or if they know that you're like, oh, he probably will go with us. You'll go once, you'll go twice, and then you're going to start doing things that later in life you're going to regret. So that's better when people know ahead of time that, uh, that you, what you're standing for. And I, uh, I remember this, uh, and that guy to this day gives me a hard time. We were in, uh, I think it was at that time, we were in Tennessee, and they were all trying to go to this one place. And I was, I was the only one against it. This is not like bragging about me, but that's kind of what I care. And they all, all the t-shirts that they were wearing had lines going up and down. And uh, I was the only one against, and one stops and like points out, like, look at him, even his t-shirt, the lines go the other way. Because I was the only one wearing a t-shirt with the lines going the other way. So every time that we're still friends to this day, but now we're all married, and he, like, when I say something, I, uh, like, no, let's do this, something different, like, well, you're the one that always wears lines uh, the other way. So I don't mind being called, but to me, I always, that's kind of what I was taught to stand firm on what you believe and not let your friends shape, shape your, your, or compromise your ideal, uh, your values or your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you, you're going to compromise today a little bit, you're going to compromise tomorrow, and this is going to keep going, it's going to go on until you're, you're going to be pressured to do things 
that later is going to be a burden in your life. But if you make Jesus your number one friend, you can always say, you know, my friend Jesus won't approve of this. My friend Jesus won't like me to be in this place where to do these things, where to behave in this way, where to use these words, or act in this manner. And that will always help you. You always have somebody that it's always by your side and is going to take your side as long as you keep his commandments, as long as you stay true to his calling. Because he has chosen us. He has chosen us to be his friends. He has chosen each one of you. And maybe if you're not, you haven't made Jesus your friend, his, uh, if, you, if you read on, uh, same chapter, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. A lot of, a lot of people have heard about Jesus. A lot of people have heard about the Bible. A lot of people have heard about his message. And uh, he, here Jesus is saying that those people have no excuse because they have heard what is right and what is wrong. So they have no excuse for sinning because if they keep sinning, he's like, he who hates me hates my father also. So help us, God, to, to stay true to this friendship that Jesus is calling us to, to stay true to his friendship because only when we're going to keep his commandments, he will be our friend. Amen? Now, let's stand up and pray. Praise the Lord, for he is good. Amen? Amen. Uh, welcome. Welcome today. Uh, is Tuesday, and we have a youth service. I see a lot of not new faces, but I see some fresh faces. Thank you for coming today. It's good to see you. And I see a very fresh face that I believe i never seen before. That's Sergi's son. What's his name? Nathaniel. Nathaniel, welcome to the youth service. Uh, we'll probably have to wait a little bit before you preach, but it's good to see you here. And your father as well. Sergi, it's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, and we'll be diving into the Word. Um, but before we do that, I will be building up on what brothers were speaking. I believe we have heard enough to go and apply. Amen? Plenty. Help us, Lord. Um, and we do. So I'm not going to be speaking of something very different. I will try to build up on what uh, brothers already were speaking. Do you remember what Andre was preaching on? Jonah? Okay. Jonah, is that it? What's, what's the, the, the points? He had three points. We care about our status, number one. We value physical comfort over human souls. Is that right? Okay. And number three was we lack compassion for human souls. Unfortunately, that is so true. I think it was... Um, Victor, who brought the little cards for evangelism not too long ago, and there was a quote that said, we don't evangelize because we fear. We don't evangelize because we lack love. And I thought that's so true. That is so true. We don't love enough. That's the core of the problem. We love ourselves a lot. That's why we spend most of the time taking care of me. Is that not true? But this is not what I'm going to be preaching about. 
Andre's sermon was obeying and enjoying evangelism. Is that right? Obeying God's call and enjoying, actually enjoying evangelism. Enjoying evangelism. Everyone is called to evangelize and share the good news. So his call was, if you don't see yourself evangelizing, if you don't have the desire, if I don't have the passion to tell people about Christ, start praying about it. Really ask God, Lord, tell them how it is. I, I, I don't have a desire to tell people about you, about the good news. What if this is the last week for Seattle? And the people that have been working with you, that you've been going to college with, you never told them, told them about Christ. You still have uh, four days, by the way. Do people around you know the good news? It's my question for myself. Do people around me know what I stand who I love, who I belong to. Amen? Let's share Christ, our testimony. Hey, this is who I was, and this is who I am in Christ. The problem is, if I can't make that comparison, this is who I was, and this is who I still am. <laughs> but if this is who I was without Christ, and this is who I am with Christ, it's worth sharing. Amen? Amen. Let's share that. Oleg was talking about friendship. Friends and friendship. Oh, I could go on about friendship uh, and talk about friendship. I think I changed. I was sitting here and counting. I changed four groups of friends through my lifetime so far. Not by choice necessarily, but because I moved from Moldova. We moved here. Um, and then, you know, as you grow, the, the, the friends change. Um, as you get married, the friends change as well, and so on and so forth. Um, but the reality is that Jesus is making a statement that you can't go around. If you are my friends, or you are my friends, if you do something. That's rather a sobering statement. That's not unconditional friendship, is it? It is not. He's, he has unconditional love, but not unconditional friendship. Friendship takes obedience, takes... Um, you have to work with him if you do my commandments. And we, by studying the scripture, realize... And we know his commandments. We know what he likes. We know what our friends like. And we can serve them in this, such a way. Is that right, Dennis? That's right. Dennis knows what, what I like. So this is what we've been talking about today. We have a few more minutes here. And my sermon uh, that I will be building on, uh, on what brothers were saying, is actually called the cure for anxiety. The cure for anxiety. Today we are faced with a lot of fears, believe it or not. And um, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by, caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. Everyone has fears, small or big fears. We all do. Um, only Nathaniel probably doesn't have any fears right now. And I'm being totally serious because experts say that babies are born with fearless. They don't have any fears. And then they start learning fears, different anxieties. That's a skill that you learn to fear something. Uh, my little, um, little uh, son, he doesn't fear a vacuum. It's a big vacuum, loud. He just goes at it. The two toddlers... They climb on the chairs and they watch from above. You know, they don't come close to the vacuum. But this guy doesn't 
fear vacuum. He doesn't know that it can hurt, hurt him or harm him. You know, he's just fearless. You know, a lot of people, when they reach teenage years, they think they're fearless, right? There's, there are no boundaries, you know. It's, everything is, is doable. Um, but in reality, the things that we do, especially guys, do it because of fear. And you know what the fear is? The fear is to be rejected, not to be accepted. And that fear drives us to do things. It drives us to do things in online, to post certain things, to submit to certain things. It drives us to do things in real world. The fear of rejection. I believe that God created people without any fears, but we, uh, by falling into sin, we have to deal with, with fear. What do people fear today? We fear a lot of things. And, you know, people fear little things when, when we're little. We fear things that seem to be kind of cute when we grow up, right? But when, as we grow up, we start fear, fearing some real, real things. Some people fear not to get married. That's a real fear and anxiety, right? Some people fear to get married. And to have a lifelong commitment. That was my fear. Fear of commitment. Um, people fear when they're married to lose a husband, to lose a wife, the future of their kids. That's a real fear. When they get older, they don't know how the retirement is going to work out, whether they're going to get finances, and so on and so forth. And we, all our life, are living in fear. People fear future, calamities, and war. Those are some real fears. And you know what? Most of the Bible characters, something encouraging, had fears as well. So we're not alone. We're not alone. We're not new to this. Um, and uh, as far as I'm aware, the only creatures that were created did not have fear uh, are written about in, in the book of Job. He says that nothing on earth is like him, one made without fear. He looks on everything that is high. He's king over all the sons of pride. So as far as I'm concerned, there's only one creature that got created that had no fear. And this was some kind of beast that we don't know about. And the purpose for that creature was to humble everything that is prideful. Specific purpose that God was concerned with. He wanted to make sure that people know that uh, they're not, you know, everything. And uh, he uses different means today to do that. But what is interesting to me, and I was always thinking about that spot. I don't have it written down, but speaking of the last times, the Bible, Jesus speaking of the last times, is mentioning um, such a phenomenon that people will be expecting calamities and things to happen, and they will be living in fear. And we, I see that personally today being actually happening. People live in constant fear of things they have we have all kinds of phobias. We have all kinds of um, fears that we accepted, let in. And let me tell you, internet and social media and news doesn't help. They do not help. You see all this information streaming in, and, 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 and you've been offered constantly to download this app because it's going to tell you about all the criminals around you in your neighborhood. I don't want that app. I don't want to know and be notified when somebody is robbed and, 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 and killed and so on and so forth. I do not need this. Thank you. But the 21st century, the problem of today is that we have too much of information. 
We're informed of the things that we have no business to know. The apps will tell you the news of the whole world that you have no control over or have no interest in or you do not need that for your soul. What you need for your soul today is when I, you wake up, when I wake up, before I open and slide that unlock button, what I need, I need some word of God. I need some pure milk. I need some pure water to feed my soul and to give me the strength and power to go through the day. Isn't that true? Amen. That is true. And my question for you um, is, what kind of fear do you have today? What kind of fears are you battling with today? Is it a fear that somebody's going to find out who you really are? And what you really do when nobody see you, sees you? A fear of who you are. That's a real fear. We have the public face. and We have the face that nobody knows about. The Bible talks about that as being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's not a healthy condition, let me tell you. What is healthy is opening up about who you really are, bringing that into the light, and receiving healing. You know why? Because eternity will reveal everything about me and about you brother and about you sister eternity will bring everything into light the good the bad so so the things that we fear I encourage you today run to Jesus with your fear Run for help. Bring it to him. Talk to him about it. Confess your fears. Tell him about your double-mindedness, if there is such. If there's something that you're struggling with, today is the day to let that go, to surrender to Jesus, to stop flirting with certain things in your life that impede you in those relationships, that impose fear on your life, that cripples you, and you cannot be effective for God. The reason I'm standing here and speaking to you, not because I enjoy speaking, this is not something I enjoy doing, but because God sent His Son into this world so you may be freed from fear. That's what the Bible says. Right here, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. That he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It is the purpose Christ came, that he may fear, free you from fear. That he may fear you, uh, free you from fear. My dear friend, and uh, there is no enjoyment in fear. The Bible is very clear that um, there's, in John, First uh, John 4.18 says, there's no Fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So the question is, is all fear bad? Can there be a good fear? Of course there's good fears, right? A fear of falling down from a 70-story building is a good fear. 
keeps you from, you know, being a fear from walking on a bridge that was uh, marked not to be walked on is a good fear. And some people avoid the signs and, and, and act like they do not fear. They suffer the consequences. Real stories. Um, so there's, there are good fears. What is a good fear in terms of Scripture, in the light of, of Scripture? A good fear is the fear that um, the Bible talks about, for example, in Exodus 20.20. 20. When God came down from the mountain, onto the mountain, and he came down in the visual, very visual form, in thunders and lightning and fire, people feared. Here's what Moses said. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So God had very legitimate purpose why he did what he did, that it may keep people from sinning. Jesus, when he came, he came to show love. He, he, we, 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 we put a lot of emphasis on Jesus that showed love and compassion. But here's what, here's what Jesus in Luke 12, 5 says about, um, about the Father, about God. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who has Feared the one after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He was talking about the Father. Because he has authority to cast into hell and to save. So what do we do? What do we do with this fear? And, and what's the point? That is, why are you talking about fear tonight so much? What can I take home and apply? That's a really good question. Thank you for asking. Uh, let's try to answer that. Um, David was one of the people that faced a lot of fears. Psalms are filled with, with writings that came out of fear of the animus of different things. Internal animus, animus outside. In fact, a lot of the things that we fear are imaginary. Things that don't even exist. People fear aliens today. Hmm. And I wonder, I talked to this guy and I said, look, how come you fear aliens but you don't fear God? Oh, because God doesn't exist. Really? So aliens do exist, but God does not. UFOs and, 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 and so on and so forth. And I mean, there is so much that people fear and believe. It's unbelievable. But fear of God is replaced. And this is the fear, the healthy fear that we need to have. And you know what the fear of God is? The fear of God is reverence and awe for God. That's what it is. Look what David, David says here. We're going to be finishing here in a few minutes, but I'll just read a few, a few verses from Psalms. When I am afraid, I will put trust in you, said David. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Here's what Solomon says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So here's the key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want to be completely, if you want to continually have freedom from your fears, 
you and I need to trust God. You and I need to learn to trust God. That everything that happens in this life to me, to my body, to my soul, to my future, to my husband, to my wife, and to my kids, is in God's hand. And you know how to learn to trust God? How do I learn to trust God? It's easy to say, I need to know who He is. I need to know His character. And as soon as I start digging into the Word and getting to understand God, oh, look, look, look at this. He said this here 2,000 years before it actually happened, and He actually meant that, and He actually fulfilled that, and it actually this is how it happened. So this is a guy that I can trust. Whatever he says, he means business. And you start to know God and you start to dig deeper. And oh, God is saying that no one and nothing will snatch you out of my hand. And if, and if, and if he did not spare his son, his only son, and he gave it up for us, will he not with his son, give us everything. And there's a promise after a promise and after a promise. And there's more opening up to you about Jesus, who he is, and what his purpose was in this earth, and what he did for you and for me. That he actually came down to, to bring reconciliation. He wanted to bring peace between you and God, the Father. And he actually came down to tell you and me about the sonship. That you can be a son and a daughter of the Holy God. And what does that mean? That means that you don't have to perform to please him. You have the status of being the daughter and the son of God. And as, as long as you have the desire, as long as you have the desire to learn to dig deeper, and to ask questions. Lord, who are you? Can you open up to me? Can you show me who you are? You know, my friends, this is very real. The hour is getting late, and it's getting really real, because soon we will see real challenges, what Oleg was saying. Not everyone has the same capacity to withstand peer pressure. And uh, it's getting, the hour is getting late. Last example, we're going to be praying. I was talking to a young lady. Um, I ran into her in the, at the Safeway. We were in a ministry here in this church for a long time together. I knew her. Um, and she told me a story. She told me a story that at her work, um, she's in the medical field, and they were mandated to go through this educational course um, module about um, transgenders, thank you, and uh, all this stuff, tolerance and, and how to treat these people and so on and so forth. And her question was, why do we have to treat them differently than everybody else, isn't it? this in our policy to treat everybody equally and nicely and so on? And nobody could answer that question. But you still have to do this module. And she was not agreeing with that. She said, I have a problem with that. And she wrote a whole letter to her supervisors and to her managers uh, saying that this is a problem. This is conf conflicts with my conscience and with my beliefs. And she said, until the last day when I had to do it or I would lose my job. If you don't comply, you're basically sent to HR and you lose your job. And uh, she said, until last day, I did not receive an answer. They were not answering me. And on the last day, she said, I was ready to leave this job because I knew they would not give me a pass. She said, they came back to me and said, you're excused. We're going to give you a waiver. 
can continue working, you don't have to do this much. Well, that's a happy ending, right? But what if you will lose your job? Because you will have to stand for what you believe. Or the question is, will you stand for what you believe? Do you have that solid foundation that you can stand on? What you believe? Do you know who you believe? That's the bigger question. Do I have trust in God? That I'm able to withstand whatever the world will throw at me. And that's why we're talking about being free from fear, trusting the Lord, and being victorious. Amen? Amen. Help us, Lord. Let's stand up. Let's say a short prayer and we'll be finishing up.